From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 392. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander, Capital One, ZocDoc, and Memberful. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason Snow. Happy birthday, Mike Hurley. Thank you very much, Jason. It's very kind of you to say. Uh, it is, in, da- in fact, my birthday today uh, as we're recording this because mm-hmm. that's just how the world moves. Yes, if you listen to this a different day, it's not his birthday anymore. So sorry, you missed out. No, unless you just, everybody decides to like observe my birthday at the time when they listen to this. And then that to upgrade 392? Yeah. yeah. That's, it's always your birthday in this episode. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a question, hashtag Snell Talk question from Zach. Zach wants to know, Jason, do you use the genie or scale effect when you minimize <laughs> Windows on the Mac? I was actually surprised today. I don't know why to surprise me because um, I, I was checking this, that you choose between one or the other. That was kind yeah, of a do. thought to me where I was like, oh, isn't there just one where there isn't an animation? And the answer is no. Um, which one do you use, genie or scale? So this is uh, classic OS ten lore. This is that thing where Steve Jobs demoed the genie effect, and he did it like 10 times, and he held down the key, the option key, to make it go slow so you could see how cool it was. And um, that's great. And then everybody else was like, uh, it's kind of a lot. How about just a simple scale effect? And uh, they, they put that in there as an option. It's like, you can choose the scale effect if you want. I choose the scale effect. I don't like the genie effect. I, I I agree with the people who said it's kind of showy and and uh, it's unnecessary. I rarely see this effect, regardless, because um, I very rarely am minimizing a window into the dock on my Mac. But if I if I were to do that, uh, I would see the scale effect. I also I just want to say this is like such a classic Apple th- bit of of weird whimsy and i'm not sure whether this was like i think steve jobs loved this stuff i think it's like cover flow i think steve jobs had stuff that he just got a kick out of and he's like yeah let's put it in there and i'm not sure apple has whimsy quite like that anymore i know marco arment went on a tear about whimsy a while ago about apple but i think apple wants to do things that are whimsical i just feel like today's apple is it's probably more of a process the whimsicality process where they you know they get a committee together the whimsy committee and they 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 have like some scores and they have some analysis they get some some people in there to run the numbers about whether this is too whimsical or whimsical enough and then sometimes whimsy comes out but it's manufactured whimsy in a way that maybe back in the day it was really just like if you made steve jobs laugh you got to keep your wacky thing in the product Uh, and the genie i think is one of those also it's showing off because they had um because they had every window as a texture um, because they were using, uh, what it, it was display postscript and then it was quartz, but it's like they were using their compositing engine, which was at the time state of the art best in the business. Um, and so you could do things like apply these wild effects on windows. And so it was also showing off on their part. Um, but that's a, that's a long digression in just to say that I, I have no, I, I, I have no whimsy in my settings. It's uh scale. Mine are all genie. I think that might be the default, and I've just never mm-hmm. thought to change it because I never minimize Windows. It it's like a little um, memorial for Steve Jobs in every Mac. That thing. I, I really seriously because I think Steve Jobs just loved it, and so it's just it's part of the lore. And why change it? As we know from observing Apple over the years, um, if Apple doesn't have to change an aspect like the like the images in the login screen, uh, if it doesn't have to make changes, it just leaves things there for decades so 
That's the genie effect. If you would like to send in a question to help us open an episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk or use question mark SnellTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. Uh, please send them in. I would appreciate them. Uh, this one I pulled from the archives. I would love some new SnellTalk questions. Oh, so yeah. send them in. Please. Help I have us. some follow-up for you, Jason. Chris wrote in to let us know that the UK Warner store has Ted Lasso merch now. All right. Get in Unf- there. Unfortunately, everything that I wanted was out of stock. Hmm. So I got a uh, I got an off brand Richmond uh, t shirt for Christmas. Okay, Lauren wanted to find one, and she actually found. Ironically enough, she found the one that John Moltz makes on I, Cotton I, I, I was about to ask if that was the 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 place, and she didn't realize it. And then she's like, "Oh, you know this person, right?" <laughs> like, yeah, that's John. That's John Moltz. Very good off brand one and i was i was recognized on the street i wore it uh walking the dog the other day and somebody was like hey ted lasso so they're out there anyway you can buy your your uh you can not buy it because everybody in the uk has already purchased ted lasso merch apparently yep so i put my name like they have like an email thing and so i put it in and then once they restock i want the sweatshirt like the afc richmond sweatshirt that they have it's as it says on the website they're most popular uh, and I'm not surprised. So I want one of those. And uh, so as soon as it comes into stock, I will buy one. And then I can, I don't know, shave off my beard, wear a moustache, and walk around as if I'm Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. I, d- I wouldn't have a good enough moustache. Like, my moustache wouldn't be... No, wouldn't no be one does. Enough. That's the that's the beauty of it, is nobody does. That's a real moustache, right? Yeah, he grows that. It looks real. I think I saw a picture recently that seemed to suggest that they were starting shooting again. Someone on Instagram, I think it was... Uh, mm. The guy who plays Coach Beard. They were all getting on yeah, what looked Brennan like a private jet, uh, which kind of looked kind of cool. Did, did you do you think that it's possible that sometime somebody's gonna either buy like a lower division UK football team and and just turn them into the Richmond Greyhounds, or that there's going to be some sort of promotion where somebody wears the Richmond kit for a game or something like that? Do you think somebody a stunt like that? I could imagine Apple doing something like that, like convincing a team to call themselves. Uh, AFC Richmond because mm. they do stuff like this and they've done stuff like this funnily enough mostly in the US right where they like take over a store or something and it's yeah, like exactly. they sell the, the shortbread um, I could imagine there being some kind of stunt in a off season game or something um, of AFC Richmond or right. something like that and maybe right. having Jason Sudeikis there something like that I could imagine that happening honestly I'm actually a little surprised that a, a lower division Maybe they have, and I just haven't heard about it. A lower division team in America hasn't done that. Like in the second division here, just hasn't mm-hmm. said. I know we're the Tucson whatevers, but um, apologies to my friends in Tucson who are actually supporters of the Tucson whatevers. <laughs> I can't remember their name. And they're like, no, no, no. Now we're AFC Richmond for a game. Maybe. I mean, they're, the Discord is mentioning, which is a, a good point, Ryan Reynolds and um, the Catherine Mythic Quest. Oh, my God. He's blanking on his name now. Uh, from always yeah, they bought a, a football club in Wales called Wrexham. Oh, it, yes, they did, and they're doing a they're doing a little show about that. Yeah, it's FC Tucson, by the way. So of course they're the Tucson whatevers because they don't have a name; they're just FC Tucson. So they could be mm-hmm. FC Tucson, and now they're like, oh, surprise! We're a, a, we're AFC Richmond for a game. FC Tucson sounds like a Star Wars droid. <laughs> I see. I was going to say it's a rapper. FC Tucson. Yeah. Would it be like MC Tucson? MC, like MC Tucson, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apple has made the first episode of their new show, The After Party, available for free on YouTube. This is a uh, Chris Miller and Phil 
Lord. Lord. Is, yep. Yeah, production. Is this is Chris Miller's like solo thing, I think, but they're they're both executive producing it. Like he's written it and is is directing it, or like created yeah. it and so directing it. So it's the it. the Lego movie and they're both involved in Twenty One Jump Street and Spider Verse yeah, exactly. and loads of other yeah. things. Yeah, they're so the first episodes on YouTube, they drop mm-hmm. the first three. This seems to be Apple's model now, right? Is they drop the first three, if they can, of a new show. This show needed it. This show needed the first three at once. And they put the the YouTube. I I watched the first two. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you do need the you do need it because the premise is kind of like it's a murder mystery where there's yep. a sort of a locked room with a bunch of guests in it, and one of them is the murderer. Mm-hmm. Um. But there are. It, it's not quite what I thought it was, where they were like every episode is its own genre. It's not quite that because there's lots of framing sequence stuff. Yeah, that they is, kind, That's how they kind of pitched it. But it's like there's these two things going on at once. There's like right the crime trying to be solved and then yeah, the interviews that are occurring and the interviews are then all told from each that person's kind of imagination and memory and they are then set within different kind of TV right. and movie genres. So, right, Tiffany Haddish is the is the lead basically and yep. she's the detective who's got one night to solve the case because then they're bringing in some fancy detective to solve it but she's the local detective and she's going to try to solve it. Um, and so she sits people down and she's like you know tell me tell me your point of view because she's very knowledgeable about like every everybody's got the own their own movie that they are the star of and that is the premise of the show so the first episode is this is a romantic comedy and the second episode is this is a fast and furious movie essentially mm-hmm. um and uh, she's great the third is a musical awesome and ben, the cast ben is, is the cast is kind of amazing there's the a lot of people in there where you're like wait what yeah the cast is, is absolutely incredible you're in this i had a funny moment where uh there's a guy the character's name's brett isn't there's kind of the star of the second episode which is just mm-hmm. incredibly good it, um, yeah, it's good and the whole time i'm like i know this guy i know this guy and he really reminded me of a of a character in the show superstore nbc superstore and it's because it's his brother it's his brother, yeah. yeah. I, and I was going to say, I also know this actor because he, uh, I, I refer to him as not Wahlberg. Yes, I mean, I think that's why he was cast, honestly. Uh-huh, it, he looks me- like a Wahlberg. But as not- soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, I know who you are. Slightly melted Wahlberg? Yeah. Yeah, he looks he looks so much like Mark Wahlberg, but also like his brother. <laughs> who's who's the big dummy in, in Superstore, yeah. yeah. This is a very fun show, but the first episode so. is, is okay. It's okay. It's the second episode, and then it gets even better with the third episode. I think they kind of ramp up because you got to understand that the premise is that it, it, yeah. they keep cycling through these different. Everybody's got a different view of what happened, and it is it is a Rashomon thing. I mean, it is literally you keep seeing the same events for that night through everybody's film genre perspective. Yep. That's the that's the big idea. But um, after two episodes, I can say and three for you that it's a pretty well executed. It's a fun. Yeah. it's a fun idea. Yeah, I I like, you know, like when these things are done well, it's like you see how it's the same goings on, but they're different. Like they're they're slightly different in Uh in important ways from person to person. My understanding of this show is like the way that it was pitched is it is possible for us to work out who it is before the end. Like that's Mm -hmm. that's how I was reading about that's how they were pitching this is like the clues apparently are there and you can try and come up with your own uh, idea before the end. That's my hope. I really hope that this isn't one of those ones where they kind of cop out and it's a thing you never could have worked out. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, the, it was this person, which is a character that wasn't in the show, 
and they did it. Yeah, they seem to be playing fair because they yeah. have to go. They're crossing over the same time, iterating over the same time again and again. And although it's all from individuals' perspectives, th- there's a limit to how much you can cheat on that. So I think they mm-hmm. have to have it all locked down about exactly what happened, and then it's just in the ways that it's revealed. Mm-hmm. I want to throw out another show, by the way, mm-hmm. that is not on Apple TV Plus. It's on Peacock in the U.S. It was a BBC. Uh, show so you already i guess saw it or missed it but um speaking of mysteries uh it's just on peacock now it's uh it's called vigil and it's a six episode i think series about um a murder on a submarine a british navy submarine Uh and because it happens in uk territorial waters they actually send a, a police officer to the submarine while it's on its mission to uh to uh find out the the truth and mm-hmm. it's kind of a it's like a locked it's a really locked room mystery right because it's everybody's yeah. on the submarine and uh and it, the reason I wanted to mention it is that there's a moment in the second episode I think where you wonder if they're playing fair or not and then you realize that it's that it's that reveal of like oh this is more complicated than we thought it was right. kind of kind of thing but i i uh, i'm loving that show and uh, people should check that out too so vigil it's on peacock in the us and it's probably available somewhere readily available in the uk because you know it's from there yeah bbc's a bit weird yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether they go away or come back or go to some strange uh, streaming service or what even though i pay for it because it's basically a tax on the UK people. Uh, after a certain period, things come off iPlayer and they go to BritBox and I have to pay for them. I so, see. you know, well. got to get them on both ends, I suppose. Dutch regulators are unhappy with Apple's plans for allowing third-party payments for dating apps. Uh, so you remember we were talking about this. This is one of the things that Apple then published, the um, support documentation and developer documentation for how to get the entitlements to be able to be a uh, offering third-party payments or links out to um, go and pay if you're like for people to pay you if you want to use a dating app. Uh, well, the Dutch regulators are unhappy with the way that Apple's doing this. They are saying that it's against uh, their rules that they've set out that developers must choose between whether they send customers to a web page or integrate a third-party system. Dutch regulators say they should be able to do both. So Apple has set out this thing where they're like, hey, you can apply for an entitlement and you can either A, integrate a third-party payment system, or B, send your customers out to pay on the web. Dutch regulators are saying no. They should be able to do all of these things. This wasn't in the ruling, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're also going to contest the uh, separate binary thing, but we'll see how that goes. Um, the regulators are also unhappy that the system hasn't actually been implemented. It's kind of just been a- announced and right. put your email address in here and maybe we'll get back to you. And they're now fining them. They're fining Apple. Yes. Five, $5 million a week for ten for the maximum of $50 million, mm-hmm. which, you know, is... This is that classic thing, which is that if you're if you've got all the money in the world, um, a fee, a fine is just a fee, and you can just keep mm-hmm. doing the thing you're doing because Apple. How much is it going to pay for us to do this? How much? Is yeah, it can we just write a check to, to make you go fee? away yeah. at that point? Like, and I know that that's not what the purpose of the Dutch government is, and that they can change their their fining structure and they can do whatever. But I think it's interesting that it it, it is a a fine that I would say Apple is not going to care about, and no. Apple is 
worried more about the big picture about what this means internationally than it does in this one market. But I mean, um, that fine though. Yeah. Like, I mean, it goes up to then what happens once they've got that? I mean, then then we might start getting into even murkier legal waters, right? Because like, okay, we find you the maximum amount, you still haven't done it, so yeah. now we're going to go through this all over again. You know, I think it also shows Apple's going to going to be put on it its own pace it's not going to be put on someone else's pace and it's and and that they don't like that the dutch regulators are like no no we told you to do this and i think there's an argument to be made that um a regulator coming down and saying change this technical thing um right away mm-hmm. there is i i have no doubt that apple is dragging its feet but also it's unrealistic to say do this thing we told you to do it it's like any of these court orders that say you have to do this i think even if apple is trying to long play it and 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 drag its feet on it there is to a certain degree truth in the fact that this is highly technical and i can't just flip a switch no they're making part of this more complicated than it needs to be you shouldn't need to have an entitlement to go outside of the app store oh sure like i said this is what i mean about dragging dragging their feet but i don't think it's as easy as just saying okay we'll just accept it now the integrating of third-party options is complicated but the idea of like having a link where someone could then just go out to the app store and then come back like that's true that doesn't require anything they're just making that more complicated than it needs to be so they can try and control it but sure uh we're just gonna say to everybody uh who didn't believe us we told you so uh back in episode 299 of upgrade when uh spotify bought the joe rogan experience we said this is going to be a problem for spotify and we were right. <laughs> yeah, it is finally. And, and without getting into the whole debate, because uh-huh. there are a lot of people out there like, well, this is, of course, this was going to happen. And, you know, Spotify's business strategy. All we said was by funding a very controversial podcast, they are going to bring trouble onto themselves that they didn't need to do, but they've mm-hmm. chosen to do mm-hmm. by funding this very popular but also very controversial podcast. And we predicted at the time that there would be things that Joe Rogan would say or do that would lead to controversy that would then reflect badly on Spotify and cause Spotify to have to deal with the PR mess of it. And that that was the price they were going to pay beyond the money of funding joe rogan and making him a spotify exclusive and we heard from a few people one in particular and i don't actually even remember who it was now but one in particular stuck with both of us they were like no this isn't going to happen they will never regret this it'll be fine and every time something (laughs) like this happens you and i send messages back and forth saying no regrets it's all fine always but it's you know it's really exploded in the last week and again in the long term of Spotify's business, will it matter? Will it not? I don't know. It just feels to me like they made a decision that uh, was like their big, bold business move to say, ha we own the most popular podcast. And maybe we're not properly estimating all of the cleanup they were going to have to do again and again and again. But here they are. So, yeah, we told you so. <laughs> Let me tell you the mistake that they made, which I think is a mistake that we knew was the issue at the time. Joe Rogan hasn't changed the type of content that he's making. No, this the show is the show. It, this it's the is show. The same. This is what it always not, was. Yeah, it's not like, oh, you know, Joe Rogan was just a normal guy, and then he got that Spotify yeah. money, and he got all wacky. No. The problem is, like, there was people that didn't like him. They had nowhere to go, right? Because, like... 
he wasn't really doing things that could get him thrown off of Apple Podcasts like uh, Alex Jones was, right? Like right. Alex Jones is just way worse, you know. Like he was, it was like lots of uh, hate speech and racism, and to my knowledge, at least. Joe Rogan's not in that boat. Otherwise, people would be asking Apple Podcasts to take him off. He just says lots of things that are very controversial, not very well thought out, and most of the time, like, are not based in fact. And, you know, it's like you can question then whether, you know, he should be taken off of every single podcast platform around. But the, the issue here is Spotify employ him basically yeah right? yes that's that's exactly it they fund they fund him it's not a are you or am, am i gonna be because spotify wants to have it both ways they want to say oh we're an open platform and so we let everything on and you know there's weird podcasts on apple's podcast too so but it's not the same because he's funded specifically by spotify mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. it would be different if he was on all the podcast services including spotify and then everybody would be like should joe rogan have a platform and all the platformers would say you no, we're not going to intercede here. But it's not that argument. The argument is Spotify owns him and they pay him. Yep. And so that that is a higher standard that they, they have to answer for. And they then do. it gave people the ability to write articles and to complain to this company. And now it's like Spotify is Joe Rogan. And now we're into different waters now, right? Like, I mean, if you had an axe to grind, you could grind it and attack him with it. But then also, just more people are paying attention. And the more people that pay attention, the more stuff we can pull out and say, like, this guy says wild things. Does this match with Spotify's corporate guidelines? And so now Spotify have made some really kind of laughable, I think, in some places, corporate, like, speech guidelines. Again, as Mm -hmm. if, like, the the really funny thing to me about this is they have created a series of of things you can and can't talk about, kind of like YouTube has. Mm -hmm. But YouTube doesn't own the content. Spotify owns this content. Like that's the also, difference. They they put out in their in there again because the point here is that they're doing massive damage control over Joe Rogan because they decided to fund Joe Rogan. Yeah. D- despite the fact that it was clear this sort of stuff was going to happen. Yeah. And, and clear to us anyway in episode two hundred and ninety nine, almost a hundred weeks ago now. So. It, but the issue is also they're like, oh, well, we've got some new guidelines in place and we're going to look at every podcast and, and like, OK, what does that mean? You're going to look at every podcast. Are you going to have somebody listen to every podcast on Spotify? Is it only the ones you fund or is it all of them? Because they're like, we're going to put labels on about anything that covers COVID-19. It's like, well, are you now analyzing every podcast? That seems unlikely that you're actually going to do that. Or is it just the ones that you fund? And they don't need to do this. Like they don't. This is the thing Like they don't. I don't think they need to do this part. Right. Like now they've gone too far. Now they're like YouTube. All anyone's asking them to do is focus on the content they own. And then outside of that, just respond to people's complaints. Right. Like this is how everybody else works. And because it's no one owns this content. YouTube has to go the extra step because they make money from all the content. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're they only have these rules in place because they want to have rules to say you broke the rules and advertisers complain to them that this content's on the platform. Right. So like Spotify is doing this this huge runaround just to try and quell the anger that people have. It's a distraction. Yeah. It's damage control. And our point here, by the way, is not to reopen this whole, you know, issue of platforms and and you know, whether 
Joe Rogan should have a platform or anything like that. It's really not. Our point here is to say Spotify made what they thought was a, a galaxy brain move <laughs> to take the biggest yeah. podcast on the internet and uh-huh. make it a Spotify exclusive. And a bunch of people were like, are you sure you want to go down the path of owning and operating what this guy says? Because this guy says a lot of kind of wacky stuff and makes a lot of people really angry. And you're going to have to justify it because you own it now. Like literally, I know I know they don't really own it. And when it's done, Joe Rogan, I think, walks away with the content. But like metaphorically, you own your actions. You own this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think Spotify probably... You know, you could give them credit and say that they just were clueless, but I think the truth is probably that they were just arrogant and they're like, nah, it'll be fine. We're great. Who's going to care? It'll be be fun. It'll be great. He's gotten by this far. We'll be fine. And this, you know, and this is not the first blow up. It is the biggest blow up. They will continue to happen because Joe Rogan, bless his heart, is not changing. (laughs) He's going to do what he's going to do. It's made him wildly successful. He put out this, this thing, which I cannot believe. And he's just like, I don't even prepare for these conversations. It's like... You're not surprising me, Joe. Like I'm not I'm not surprised that you don't do even the basic <laughs> level of work for your massively successful podcast. You know, like it's hilarious to me, you know, like how much more work we do for this show than he does for his show, but hey ho. Like so th- the fact that he says that it's and he's kind mistake. of proud of it is like that means he's never going to change. You know, I was thinking yeah. about this a bit over the weekend. Amazon have got this right. Amazon are doing they they're smart. Amazon are smart because what they're doing and they just did another one of these deals of with my favorite murder. They don't like they don't own the content. They just have exclusive first rights to the content and sell all the ads. That's the better way to do this right. because then you don't own it. You're just distributing it like everybody else. You distribute it just earlier. And I think that that is a more separated thing and you're still benefiting because People that love the show will want it before will want it a week before everybody else gets the show. So maybe they'll check out Amazon Music for their podcasts. By the way, Amazon Music has been a previous sponsor of the show. I'll just say that this has got absolutely zero to do with what I'm talking about right now. Sure. Um, but then they sell all the ads, which is where all the money comes from anyway. And because they sell all the ads, they're going to get more listeners. They get more money in, right? Mm-hmm. Which is where Spotify are kind of locking it down. I think that Amazon's is the smarter way. It's all distinctions, right? The like Amazon, you've got a business relationship, and you can mm-hmm. put pressure on that. But it's not the same as saying this is a uh, this is a Spotify exclusive. We own it. It is it is our baby. It is it's a different thing. And and again, their issue this last week has been with uh, with musicians pulling their music off. Uh, in protest of Joe Rogan being on Spotify, which comes up with another thing, which is, again, I have to ask the question, is the opportunity to own podcasting worth it to Spotify to have issues with its core business, which is music? Mm-hmm. You've got to imagine there's some very... Um tense meetings between division heads at Spotify right now, right? Like the head of music and the head of podcasts they are probably not friends at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny too, because this is a very different kind of business for Spotify because Uh music doesn't really have, as we said back in episode 299, music doesn't really have exclusives in the same way. I mean, yeah, there's like live sessions and stuff like that, but for the most part, releases just are released and they're everywhere. And this, this whole thing was an idea of like, we're not going to just put podcasts in Spotify. We're going to force some podcasts to only be in Spotify and you're going to have to get them there. By the way, I want to, before we move on from this topic, I want to mention another couple things. One of the top five, no, it's probably top 15 podcasts. Podcasts in Apple Podcasts 
is a podcast with a picture of Joe Rogan on it and the words Joe Rogan experience in the name of the podcast, but it's actually a podcast about what happened on that week's Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> it's the Joe Joe Rogan 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 experience experience. It is. And it is in the top charts because Incredible. people are looking on Apple Podcasts for Joe Rogan and not finding it. It's number nine at the moment. It is the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast Incredible. with a big fat picture of Joe Rogan right in the center. Oh my how <laughs> And like good for good for the guy who does that because he is that is the ultimate search engine uh. squatting going on there. So <laughs> they yeah. got Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast is one that I see. Mm-hmm. There's probably quite a few of them. That's that's the number nine, oh. number nine podcast on Apple Podcasts right now. That's just that's something because people are looking for it, right? And that's what yep. they're getting. So one thing I don't think the story is over. Uh, the question, really, the question is if there's going to be a musician big enough, right? No offense to um, Neil Young, Neil Young and, and Joni Mitchell fans. <laughs> not big enough. Not not. Uh, important enough in Spotify's eyes. I mean, like, right. look, because the the point the point too, you know, their point no, is not right? to look. Neil Young very smart. Yeah. What Neil Young did here, yeah. I think. Neil Young knew that this wasn't going to make a difference. But what Neil Young has gotten is exactly what's happened, which is it was it started a fire. Yep, that's it. And so, but the question now is, will there be an artist big enough? Right. Like if Taylor Swift is like. This is one everyone uses, but like, you know. That's the ultimate leverage that Mm -hmm. everybody has over Spotify, which is Spotify's business is a music streaming business. And if Spotify deciding we're going to spend money on exclusive content in podcasts is if their decisions there are so questionable that they're harming their music business appreciably, this becomes a a much bigger problem. And I, I wouldn't. You know, I don't. I doubt there's going to be much of a change here, but there is a scenario where where um, Spotify just decides, you know what, we're not gonna we're not gonna fund. This is is similar to the argument about Substack, where people are like really angry about some of the content that's on Substack. But what intensifies the argument is that Substack chose some people and gave them essentially funding mm-hmm. to launch their substacks. And it, thing, it changes it? the yep. conversation because mm-hmm. then you're not a platform anymore. Now you are funding the content. You are a publisher of that. You have more responsibility. And so that that would be my question for for Spotify is, yeah, at what point do you say this whole exclusive podcast thing it turned out to be too much uh, and with too much potential harm to our music relationships? This episode is brought to you by Capital One. Have you ever hit a technical snafu while shopping online? Has filling out payment fields given you a headache? Has a mobile banking app been down when you wanted to use it? Capital One believes everyone deserves better banking, and this means easier access to your money, more security, and that's why Capital One is investing in machine learning. Because machine learning allows Capital One to do things like fight fraud with random forests. These are models that quickly detect suspicious activity and make it faster to alert federal investigators. They identify how mobile app outages happen with causal models. Keeping their mobile app up and running doesn't happen by accident. Anomaly detection and incident response help to 
determine why app outages happen so engineers can quickly remedy them. Capital One speed up online shopping with machine learning at the edge. They make shopping with virtual card numbers smoother and more secure. This technology is based on logistic regression models and running inference in the browser. This identifies payment fields, which helps making using virtual card numbers easier and faster. The potential of machine learning is so big. See how Capital One is using machine learning to create the future of banking. Search machine learning at Capital One and you can find out more. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Got a couple of stories for our rumor roundup, Jason. I've snuck. This has become a new segment in my brain. I think this is probably okay. obvious to everyone at the moment. Uh, I like doing rumor roundups, and we said mm-hmm. before, especially because uh, Mark Gurman seems to always publish something over the weekend. Um, and I have a couple of Bloomberg stories for you today. Uh, the first is that Bloomberg is reporting that Apple is working on the ability to allow for iPhones to natively accept card payments via the built-in NFC reader, removing the need for something like a Square reader. It's right. unclear whether the payment accept. This is a quote. Sorry, I'm going to read a quote from from the article. It's unclear whether the payment acceptance option will be branded as part of Apple Pay, though the team working on the feature has been working within Apple's payment division since being brought over from a company called MobiWave, which was a credit card payments company, like for phone for this exact thing that mm-hmm. Apple acquired in 2020 for around a hundred million dollars. This is an interesting one to me, like, because my feeling is, right, this feels like a strategic play, not a technology play, which is why they bought this company. Because I feel mm-hmm. like Apple could have worked this out. Like, if it was just, if the if they were creating, say, an API, which is like, we're opening up the NFC reader, then they can leave it for the other tech companies to work out how to make that a thing that they can charge from, right? Because NFC is a... Is a pretty known technology at this point yeah although i mean nfc is really locked down on the iphone right i mean what i'm saying is they could have if they were just going to be like oh hey square you know i know you want to be able to do this about mm -hmm. the reader we're just going to let you do that yeah no this is this is strategically they're like they wanted to all go through apple pay right yep and so my fear on this is like if apple does this the logic in my brain would be like, this is just going to be an Apple Pay thing and third parties will not be able to use this technology. Yeah, I think that's a good question, right? Like, will will it be, that would be my guess. My guess, and, and, and I wonder how much of this gets calibrated now thinking of future regulation and court cases and things yep. uh, for Apple because there are two ways that Apple could do this. Apple could say, we are making this an API uh, for approved apps who want to accept payments. Or they could say, all payments go through Apple Pay. Uh, which is probably what they'll do because this sounds like very much part of their financial building their financial empire that they're trying to build um, and saying you no longer the you know the person down at the farmer's market that is currently you know struggling with a square terminal now all they need to do is just hold out their iphone Mm -hmm. and you can tap and you can accept payment and it's done and you don't have to do anything else so um i i you could argue that that they missed their chance and that they should have done this. You know, I don't think they have the hardware to do it um, years ago, and that now um, more entities have built like little terminals and stuff where mm-hmm. you can tap and all of that. And that's you know, tapping on a payment terminal is a better experience than some dude handing his phone, holding his phone out to you and saying, "Tap here, man." Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but uh, but I'm sure Apple views this as being a way for them to kind of insinuate themselves into another part of the financial picture. My hope would be at least that they could offer it as some kind of technology that third parties could integrate with. Like Apple could still process the payment. They're still going to make the money. 
But at the same time, then I don't know if a company like Square, I mean, they make money from processing the payments, so why would they right. give that to Apple? Um, this is just... Do, do remind me, do iPads have NFC chips in them? No. So I have to wonder if this is going on, if one of the other conversations that's going on inside Apple is maybe we need to start putting NFCs in, NFC chips in um, in iPads mm-hmm. so we can sell them as terminals. Because mm-hmm. right now, you you know, I, I could see them saying cellular iPad, NFC terminal built in, you know, iPad Pro for your business. You put it right. That, there's a sales pitch there, but they don't currently have NFC stuff in iPads. Also, Apple Apple Pay Cash. I want to point out that Apple, when we talk about this, and I know that you and I talk about this a lot. Like Apple's got all this financial, you know, services plans, but like Apple Card and Apple Pay Cash are 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 like in the U.S. Right? Yeah, uh, I just saw there was a link uh, from Matt in the chat. Some might have NFC chips. I don't know. Anyway, um, that are unused. Oh yeah, apparently the iPad Air two has an NFC chip. That's hilarious. So that's that's from a long time ago. So, mm-hmm. but that was probably like they put it on the board because it was cheaper to put it on the board with yeah. something else. If they have them, Apple doesn't talk about it. Uh, but yeah, right. so there's a breakdown. Apple Pay is worldwide, not everywhere, yes. but in many, many, many countries. And this mm-hmm. is the ability for you to use your phone and your watch as a as a card. But Apple Pay Cash, which is the I want to send money to somebody else, that's US only. And Apple Card is US only because right. they require other things. I'm still really surprised that Apple Pay Cash has not left the US. Me too. Um, even if they just kept it as inter-country, like not international. I like This seems like a strategic right. play. Like For me to be able to send money in the UK, I mean, like what I'll say is maybe the reason is the UK's payment system is very advanced and very good and free. And like, you know, I can send money to anyone in the UK using my banking app and it's immediate. You know, like it, 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 we have a better system here. I maybe, I don't know what your system's like there, but everything I've ever done with an American bank seems vastly more complicated. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's our, our system. I had somebody, um, when we were learning how to do payments to uh, to people for our business that were direct payments, we have to use a system called um, ACH for that. Yep. And a, a bunch of other stuff like Zelle has, has been created, which is like a bunch of the big banks trying to create their own Venmo. Um, and there's Venmo. Um, but ACH, I, I was told by somebody who actually has worked at, at the place that does the ACH payments. If he, what, what this person said to me was, your vision, my vision of it being like a big windowless room with a bunch of people dressed like they're accountants from the 30s and they've all got adding machines and little green eye shades. This person was like, you're really not that far off. It is an incredibly outmoded system that for whatever reason has not changed. And that's the US. Like, So yeah, the US banking system is so slow to change. And uh, and but it, and yet Apple is doing these things in the U.S., which I find I, I find that fascinating because there are other countries where you think it would be easier to mm-hmm. deploy this stuff. Mm-hmm. Then again, those countries also probably have more advanced alternatives, so there there's less of an opportunity there. But still, wouldn't you think that when Tim Cook goes on a financial call and boasts about Apple Card and Apple Pay Cash, that uh, he would really like to be able to boast about how they're in other countries and they're not. Yeah, Apple Card is the, uh, is the biggest surprise to me than Apple Pay Cash. <laughs> are there credit cards in un- other countries? I I think there are. There are, and <laughs> you know, I, I just for that one, it's like it seems like much more of a longer term strategic move, and they could find yeah. credit card companies 
in most countries around the world that would be willing to partner with them on that. But they have yet to do it. So this is an interesting one to me. Honestly, this feels to me like they could do this anywhere that um, Apple Pay is accepted because that's all this is. It's just a credit card or debit card transaction via NFC. I'm not entirely sure because you need to be able to accept it, which is why I was thinking my gut feeling is that the way this will work is that it'll take the money and put it in your Apple Pay cash. So it'll only work in the U.S. because it'll work with Apple Pay Cash. Because you got to take. Oh the right, because they're not going to want to do the work of having people sign up. Uh, right, and you can't do like, like a, a reverse a reverse Apple Pay where it it charges on one card and debits to the other card. Instead, you have to have a like a linked account, and that that is the Apple Pay Cash infrastructure. Good point. Maybe Good point. if they do this, that might finally be an impetus for them to roll out Apple Pay Cash elsewhere. Yes, but that's my guess is that it'll be like you can take a payment for your bread at the at the farmer's market and you just ended up with Apple Pay cash on your phone. And then at the end of the day, you can transfer that back to your bank account. That's my guess about how they're going to implement this. Uh, If they do this, the interesting part is nothing new is needed. Like every device that has an NFC chip in it, a software update would turn this feature on. NFC is a very simple technology. There's a lot of complicated things. I remember when I was first thinking about when they uh, when the Apple Watch and 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 the iPhone got NFC, like got Apple Pay. I was thinking, how's it going to work on the tube? I'm underground, and I don't have any reception. And I was like, well, neither does my debit card. My debit exactly. card has no reception. Uh, you know, as as we know from like Apple explaining it to us all these years ago, it's basically just creating a fake card. That's all it's doing. It's just like changing the numbers and, and yeah. giving it a weird well, number thing. Lauren was asking me about this because she took her. She didn't have her phone with her, and she was at Whole Foods. She was like, can I pay my Apple watches and cellular? She said, um, so can I use Apple Pay? And I'm like, yeah, because it doesn't, it's just a credit card. Yep. It, it's, it knows what the credit card is. It's stored on the device. It isn't calling home to the internet to do anything. It's literally just providing the digits <laughs> to the receiver. Mark Gurman has also given some details uh, on the larger iMac that we've been pontificating over. Uh, so mm. Mark is saying it will be the iMac Pro. It will feature an M1 Pro and or M1 Max processors as an option with a similar design language to the 24-inch iMac. Yeah, yeah. I I think it is going to be what we thought it was, right? I don't think... Uh, there are going to be some surprises maybe. Like, is it going to have a, a better webcam? Is it going to have Face ID or something like that? Or is it really going to be... My guess would be it's going to be straight up just a big 24-inch iMac. Um, same look no colors probably or bad colors what size colors. do you reckon it will be the screen i i think it's 27 27 i don't mm-hmm. think they're gonna make it 30 or whatever right. I, I think that that that's too big for most people and so that, it would be physically smaller larger screen than the one it replaces right because the 24 is like physically similar size larger screen yeah do that's the opposite. my that's my guess and then it'll come in like space gray and maybe silver and then you know again it's the usual you know midnight green and and yeah twilight mm-hmm. yellow i don't know like again boring things that are very boring i think and not bright and fun but uh that are pro and the black bezels right black yeah. bezels not the not the gr- light gray bez- bezels but the black bezels that's mm-hmm. it's it's what we predicted and then it'll have the processors in there and 
Uh, I, what I find interesting is Mark Gurman is like really cagey about like what Mac might ship in the spring event. He's like something and he talks about this product, but it's still like, mm, when's it going to ship? And I'm going to hold that hope that it's a spring event thing and they're going to actually ship it in the spring event because they want to get it out there. But Mark Gurman doesn't seem to know. He doesn't know. know. He, cl- yeah. he seems to not know this one. So I don't know. Uh, but bring it on. I'm going to almost certainly I will buy this. Right. Almost certainly this will be. Reckon- my new Mac, uh, even though I, you know, uh, the idea of uh, an external display and something like that is tempting. I think it will probably just be this. I've ha- I've been very happy with my 27 inch iMac lifestyle that I started back when the 5K iMac came out. I'm pretty happy with it. I think I'll just continue that. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by our friends at Text Expander. Keep everything consistent and accurate of Text Expander. In our fast-paced world, things change constantly, and errors in messaging can have significant consequences. Text Expander lets you make approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes in its right hand so your team will stay consistent current and accurate with text expander you can get your message right every single time you expand content that corrects your spelling keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes lets you fill out an email lets you fill out forms all with just a couple of keys and you're right there and the great part is everybody can share it so your team members always know the right message for the right person at the right time without relying on memory copy and paste sending a slack message you know that you don't have to ask anyone hey what are we saying for this what is our messaging for this it's all right there in text expander we use at RealFM, we use it for these exact purposes. We share uh, advertising copy amongst the team and stuff. And because TextExpander has some fun stuff, when we're putting this into our system, you can just go to one field in the system, expand the text expander message, and it will put everything you need in every field because you can have it go like t- you can have it like basically emulate the tab key. So it's like and then all you could do is press confirm, and that's really fantastic stuff that we have at our fingertips because of text expander. As a listener of Upgrade, you can get twenty percent off your first year. Visit textexpander.com/podcast to learn more about text expander. That's textexpander.com/podcast. Our thanks to text expander for their support of this show and really. AFM. So there are some new betas that came out uh, tail end yeah. of last week. Big beta time. That were a bit chunky, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got iOS 15.4 and macOS 12.3. I'm not 100% sure how that happened, but it did. They rushed out a iOS update, a 15.1 update, while macOS was still kind of spinning. So they got offset. Ah, uh, yeah, because it took a while, didn't it, to come mm-hmm. out? Yeah, I forgot about that. Probably the biggest thing, the most attention-grabbing thing, is because it's a new thing, an unexpected thing, is Face ID while wearing a mask, no Apple Watch required. So this uses, quote, unique features around the eyes as the way to authenticate you. So you can be wearing your mask. And you, you set this up as a separate process. So like you go in and redo Face ID again because you have to make the choice. Um, I would assume, it's safe to assume, this is less secure. And, I mean, Apple say it's less accurate. Uh, right. But, like, it's got to be less secure, right? Than without, I would think so. Right? Because you've got the full face or half the face. Um, I'm wondering which of these is better from a security perspective out of this or the watch unlock. What do you think? Um well, watch unlock is probably better because it's a pure, you know, password. You, you've you got your watch on your wrist and as long as it stays on your wrist and you've entered the passwords, it knows that it's you because it's still on your wrist. So I would probably call that higher security. I also would think that Apple wouldn't do this if they weren't fairly confident in the level of security of this thing. 
Yeah, I I I wonder. Sure. I want to uh, what I wonder about is like where does touch ID sit? So like if you've got like if you imagine right. we've got four things here. We've got face ID, face ID with watch, face ID with a mask and touch ID. What is the security spread across these four things? I I would think that Touch ID would probably be the highest security. That's my guess. I thought they said Face ID was more secure than Touch ID. More secure than Touch ID. I believe they did. I believe they did. I think they said that Face ID was more secure. It's less likely to misidentify somebody as you than somebody's fingerprint as you. I'm just just going on what I remember. I might not be accurate about that. Yeah, the watch unlock. I mean, the beauty of the watch unlock is it's biometric based on your knowledge of your your own passwords. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's pretty powerful. But beyond that, then you're just back to biometrics and saying, this is the person that I recognize. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's And, and the, the truth is, Face ID, the whole idea is convenience. And now they've got Face ID in all these phones. So they need to do, even if even if Apple spent the last two years trying to get back to Touch ID, they, they need to do something like this um, because there are so many Face ID phones out there. And even though it's coming now at this point, like I think it's reasonable to to accept that there are going to be lots of situations where people are masked uh or have a, like a, a a scarf around their their mouth or mm-hmm. something i don't Which know it's always been an it's always been a thing masking has always yeah. been a thing an issue with face id around yes. the world prior to the pandemic i remember right i remember the first time i read face masks and my initial thought was like the things that you wear at a spa, like a beauty face mask. And I was like, I don't understand why are we talking about this? And then it took me a while to realize, oh, no, because there are countries in the world where they wear face masks, like yes. when they're sick. This was like yeah. a very long time ago. By the way, Zach is uh, letting us know in the in the Relay FM members Discord, by Apple, Touch ID is claimed to be one in 10,000, Face ID one in a million. Well, that's pretty pretty good. So assuming that this new Face ID is, if it's less, it's probably still better than Touch yeah. ID is my But guess. then when my, my thing about the watch unlock is I expect there is a massive variance of security depending on what kind of passcode you have. Because you can have a four-digit passcode on an Apple Watch, right? Sure. Although I think you have to have entered the passcode on the watch and on the phone in order to enable... Okay, I don't know. The biometrics. But yeah, there is an interesting kind of scout. It's just funny, I think, to consider the path that Face ID has been on when you look Mm -hmm. look back at Touch ID. I mean, like, look, there is a... uh, The pandemic has kind of upended all of this, right? Like, I don't think that either the watch unlock or, like, the watch unlock feature would never have been introduced, in my opinion. No, and it was was obviously a a, a rush attempt to get that out there while they worked on this in the background, which is something that's... this This is literally the feature that we... We're talking about during the pandemic, yes. like the beginning, early days of the pandemic was, can you do this instead? Can you do face ID with a mask on based on the parts of your face you can see? And the answer is, yeah, give us two years and we'll get right back to you. I'm not surprised though, honestly, like you got to do the security work on this and really be comfortable that what you're you know, because you've got base. I would I would expect that to make sure this worked, they had to go back to like the very beginning of testing for like mm-hmm. they did with Face ID for sure, right? For and sure. so like it's gonna take a really long time. And honestly, I say like hats off to them for the interim solution of mm-hmm. the watch unlock. Like I think they obviously knew that this is something that they wanted to do, and like all right, but that's gonna take us too long. What can we do in the meantime? Oh, we can do this. 
Um, so there is a little bit more to this. So also they have introduced the ability to do a face ID scan wearing glasses to improve scanning for if you wear glasses. And they recommend doing multiple scans if you wear multiple pairs of glasses. Um, this is also better for sunglasses. However, the face ID while wearing a mask feature specifically will not work at all if you wear sunglasses because it cannot look at your eyes, right? Yeah. It needs to see your eyes. Um, which is not something Face ID required because it had your entire face, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was reading this, I was hearing about this. I was like, "Ah, eh, I'm not going to enable this. I'm fine. I wear an Apple Watch every day. If I, if it was the only reason I was wearing an Apple Watch, it was one of the main reasons when I started wearing an Apple Watch again. Uh, then I would maybe consider it. But now I wear an Apple Watch for a bunch of things. You know, as I'm back in kind of that life." Um, so I was like, no, I'm fine with the Apple Watch authentication, so I'm just going to stick with it and keep what I expect as a higher level of security. But then I read this following quote from Mac Rumors, and it changed everything in my brain. <laughs> Unlike the Apple Watch Face ID feature, Face ID of a mask is fully identical to standard Face ID in terms of what can be authenticated. You can use Face ID with a mask for Apple Pay purchases and in lieu of a passcode in third-party apps. So if you do the watch thing, you still have to put a passcode in for Apple Pay and any app that uses authentication. Oh, so yeah. that would suggest to me, Jason, that Apple th believe Face ID with a mask, I expect, is more secure than, than the watch version because otherwise, why would they let you do this? Yeah, I do wonder about that. Yeah, so this is exactly what happens to me when I'm in in the store or somewhere, because mm -hmm. that's generally right. That the only time I'm ever inside wearing a mask is is in stores. That's and Bay Area has a mask mandate. We wear masks inside. So I'm in the store, and I need to look something on on one password. Guess what? Uh, I need to put in my password because it yep. won't do watch unlock. Or I'm paying something at the register, and uh, and occasionally my Apple Watch will be like. I can't do Apple Pay right now. And I don't know why it does that, but occasionally it does that. It's like, ah, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll use my phone. And then I go to my phone and it says, please put your password. And I'll go, oh, gosh. Yeah, so, I just habitually use my phone for Apple Pay and never think to use my watch. Mm. Like, I think that I, like, I wore that habit out in the time that I wasn't wearing an Apple Watch and it's just never come back to me. Right, yeah, that's you true. Know? Even if you have Apple Watch authentication, this is a superior method of authenticating because it unlocks everything that Face ID does and the Apple Watch authentication does not do mm -hmm. that. So it's a, it's a big deal. I think people are going to be really excited about this when it comes out. Keep in mind, it's just developer beta. They'll probably do a public beta this week or next week, and then it'll be like a month or two before everybody else gets it. But um, it's it's great. I like. I am surprised that this exists, and I'm very happy that this exists. And in the long run, like I said, in the long run, we are probably certainly certainly in many countries. Oh, the public beta is out now, Jason. Public beta is out. Okay. So in the long run, there are lots of places that have masking culture, and there are probably more now than there were before the pandemic. Uh, and I, I fully expect that there will also be periods where something will be going around and they'll say, okay, everybody should wear masks inside now. And um, and again, there are also other uses in terms of people covering up parts of their face because of the weather and stuff like that. Like, this is great. It's like a face ID for your eyes. And mm -hmm. you're probably not, you know going outside like completely covered uh if you're spider-man face id will not work well so, sorry spider-man well unless i think there is a version of the suit where he does show his eyes so like maybe 
you know, like maybe that would work. Like he could just now, retract them. But generally, it's a whole it's a whole face thing. He's going to have to do yeah. touch ID, and and you know, touch ID is hard for him. Oh, I don't know, because he, he wears he gloves too, and he will just yeah, he'll stick to it. He does, but it, but somehow his stickiness goes through the gloves. So maybe his I don't know. Anyway, his fingerprint. Don't be through, don't if you're Spider Man and you need to unlock your phone, you're going to have to swing to the top of a tall building and take your mask off. The whole way, not just that halfway that he does sometimes, because it's still not the right part of the face. It's the right. Yeah, that's right. That's that, yeah. The, it's not mouth ID. They've also in 15.4 added the ability to add a note to a iCloud keychain entry. So you can go into passwords. It's passwords, hmm. isn't it, on um, uh, on the iPhone and iPad. You could There's now like a, the ability for you no. to add a, a note field in there. Uh, getting closer and closer to that full password manager. Yeah. I'm, I wonder, I'm starting to think that one of our iOS 16 predictions should be that passwords will be an app. Because it's so fully functional, mm. and yet it's in the settings app. And I wonder if they might actually break it out, even if it's literally the same functionality, into a password app, just so yeah. that there's something on your home screen that says passwords. I do think we are getting closer. I mean, we're always getting closer to that eventuality. I think it's speeding up. Because I think mm-hmm. the impression I get from conversations with and also seeing the output of people that work on passwords and security at Apple they are very passionate about this yeah. as a as a project and have done just some truly incredible things like the um the way it pulls in the authenticated text messages and stuff like that like really truly oh, yeah. like just like life-changing things in software yeah you see Ricky Mondello on Twitter yeah. um they talk about this a lot and mm-hmm. the idea that um, they are working very hard to integrate sort of like the messages come in and then they autofill in Safari and like all of that stuff. Yeah, they are very proud of it. But also I think that there came a point where they realized that this was a platform feature that like Apple <laughs> security of users should not be left to third parties, right? Mm-hmm. It is that moment. And you could say, yeah, they're eating one password's lunch and all the rest. But the truth is- Well, they're not even nearly doing it yet. I, I, but I think they're right. I think- you have to you have to do this in the in the operating system like this is not an optional thing people have passwords just say hey passwords it's your problem it's not my problem it's your problem i i don't think you can do that so they have to do it i'm glad they are doing it this is also why companies like one password that have their own password manager are pivoting to be enterprise solutions right it's because just serving regular users and i know people are angry who are regular users of one password they're like why aren't they listening to me the answer is because they see the writing on the wall which is the the way you use one password when you started using it that's going to be an operating system feature and it may not be exactly what you want but it's going to be the base operating system feature and it's going to prevent them from having a rich market for people who want this because uh, the, what Apple provides will be good enough. And so they got to pivot to something that like bu- businesses care about for their business information. And um, the good news is what Apple's doing in this area is really quite good because it would be different if Apple was scaring everybody off and that what they were providing was bad. But it's actually quite good and I'm very impressed with it. Yeah, I, I wonder if, I wonder with one password, like, how much has Apple got to do to start eating into these things? Because, like, one of the big things is like, they don't do, there's no like sharing, there's no like group stuff, there's none of that. And if you, if that's the thing that you care about, which I do, I mean, you're kind yeah. of, you're stuck with a bigger solution. Certainly, iCloud family sharing of password information is a frontier for them, right? I, I would imagine that they might get there down the road, but you're right. If you've got, um, and Laura and I have a shared 
thing that that for one password stuff. So that would be a thing that if we dropped one password, we would need to figure out another way to do that. But um mm-hmm. anyway, it, it is like in true Apple style, I feel like they are going to cover most of the bases here. They're going to get most of the needs of people and it's getting better all the time. Uh, Federico Vatici, friend of the show, uh, found out you can run shortcuts automations without getting notifications anymore. So if you have some kind of automation that happens for timed or some kind of action triggers a shortcut, you would get a notification for it. They don't appear anymore. I'm pleased about this. I have a focus mode that when it detects uh, exercise activity, it sets a focus mode for me. But then I get two notifications from... (laughs) from the shortcuts app where you won't get those pop up anymore they still show in notification center so there's Mm. like a summary of all the things that have happened but they don't like pop up and like get in your way anymore Um, as it stands right now you will still get them when launching from the home screen so you put like make your own like home screen thing and you press it and you get like hey opening this app I expect right. they'll probably change that. I'd be surprised if 15.4 came out with that still as a thing um, mm-hmm. because they've done the other part of it. And I saw on Mac rumors that third-party apps will now be able to take full advantage of the 120 hertz promotion. There was a We spoke about this at the time, but there was a bug in core animation where some animations were locked to 60 hertz. This has now right. been fixed and developers don't have to do anything. So it will now just do this automatically. So some scrolling stuff was was being kind of constrained and that won't be the case for 15.4. Mac OS 12.3 has universal control. Yeah. Are you surprised about this? No. Okay. Because I was wondering, honestly, I thought it might come back around again in 16 and 13. (laughs) No. I I assumed I assumed that this was this was going to be they they promised it for the spring they promised it for the spring oh yeah I forgot that I right? forgot that yeah yeah and so this was this is the logical place for it I think we were all I mean originally twelve two turned out to be a um and and uh, twelve two and fifteen point three turned out to be like a they wanted to get some a bunch of stuff out like bug fixes and all that and, and saved their new features for this round um this is the mid year feature update. Um, so they seem to have held a bunch of this stuff for this set of releases. And so, yeah, so here's universal control. And I, I wanted to test universal control. So I installed the betas on my Mac and on my iPad just so I could test universal control. And it is real and it works and it's a beta <laughs> and it for, it lost my keyboard at one point And I was like, okay, I guess I can't use the keyboard over there anymore, but it's a beta but it is, it, it works as advertised until it doesn't because it's a beta. But um, I'm very impressed with it. I'm sure, you know, ergonomically, I'm not sure it's the best fit for me. Although that said, being able to prop up my iPad and be able, being able to mouse over to it instead of reaching over and, and tapping on it when I want to have the iPad open to something is nice. And mm-hmm. I, there are definitely, if I was traveling and I had my a laptop on my iPad, it would be great because I, I would have like a little control system and I wouldn't have to have two keyboards and two trackpads and move my hands around. Um, I, I'm impressed by it. The thing though, using it that impressed me the most. I mean, the setup is nice. The displays control panel that lets you arrange the height and stuff just like you would for an external monitor but it's for this keyboard and and pointing device sharing that's really nice my favorite thing is that in doing it i thought oh see 
This is the feature that is enabled by the fact that they put the pointer support in a year ago. And since I have a magic trackpad on my Mac, I move it over to the iMac or the iPad and it's completely familiar because it's what using an iPad with the magic keyboard with trackpad is like. It's exactly the same. All the gestures everything. And so it's super familiar. And I know for some people who've not used the iPad with a pointing device, it'll be weird. It'll be like, whoa, now my trackpad is over on my iPad. Mm -hmm. But we've had a year now where iPad users and app developers and Apple have had this keyboard and trackpad mode uh, available. In fact, part of me wonders, was universal control invented for the pointer? Or was the pointer invented for universal control? I don't know, but they obviously have a plan here. And these the the pointing stuff from a year ago feeds directly into this. I guess that was two years ago now. Two, two years, years ago. ago. Yeah, it was wow. it was like that was uh, a bright spot at the beginning of the pandemic. It was like that's right. this interesting and, thing to talk about and look at. And it really does just feel that natural. It is it is not any different than attaching a trackpad to your iPad to have it be via universal yeah. control. It just happens. And I know one of my criticisms of Sidecar at the time, when when Sidecar came out as part of Mac OS, was I love my iPad because it has iPad apps on it and it's running them on the device as opposed to, you know, oh, I could run Slack. I move Slack over in Sidecar and put it on my iPad. Or I could just run Slack on my iPad, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the only reason you would use it as an external monitor for something that you could run on your iPad is so that you wouldn't have to take your hands off your keyboard and your mouse. Well, mm -hmm. this is way better because you're literally running those apps natively on the iPad. <laughs> you're just controlling them from your Mac keyboard and mouse. It's, it's, it's really good. And it's not going to be for everybody. There's very cer certain circumstances where it's going to make sense. But I'm... Uh, I'm really impressed with it, even though it is a beta and it's got some bugs, but I'm very impressed with it. It's it's strange, but uh, I think it's good. So it still does that automatic, like it's all on, right, by default, and it does that thing where like you just push off the screen mm -hmm. and that kind of Whoop. is trick. It's like a reverse kind of thing where you're telling the computer basically where the device is, but just biologically, yes. where would you go? Like, for example, if you did the opposite side of the screen, initially it would work, but wouldn't make any logical sense. So they kind of relying on people to be logical but once you've connected the two devices by doing that like pushing membrane thing it's i find honestly find it kind of gross looking but uh, in the image i haven't run this <laughs> myself but there's something about that freaks me out a bit my experience was it just like popped over and i, I like a, you didn't even notice it just happened okay. so quickly that but then you can uh, in system preferences rearrange yeah the placement like it's yeah, an including heights monitor. So yeah. I had I had my iPad sitting on my desk and so it was below the height of my iMac. Mm -hmm. And so you could I could make it geographically appropriate that it was down below. Yeah. Um and then I put it in a stand and then it was sort of parallel and then I moved it up to be parallel. And actually another way that this is superior to sidecar is that I am a right dock person. And if I put an iPad to the right of my iMac and I use sidecar, the dock goes all the way out to the right side of the iPad. Which is terrible. Which is terrible. I don't want it there. I would have to use uh, a, a switch glass by John Syracuse in that case, by the way. Uh, but instead, with uh, with universal control, 
the Mac ends still ends on the right. <laughs> and so when you move your mouse over to the edge of the Mac screen and move it over onto the iPad, the dock is still right where it is because there is no Mac to the right. It's just this iPad. A funny thing that happens, though, is that there it does... A little creepy. I don't know if they're going to change this. As you push the cursor over to the iPad, it sort of leaves the dead body of the Mac cursor behind. Oh, I don't like that. You, you can actually see like the edge of the pointer off on the off on the right edge, sort of ghostly. And in fact, if it's hovering over a um, a dock item, the dock item stays with its name highlighted. Uh, which is again, I think this is something they probably need to address in the beta. That that uh, cursor should sort of disappear from the Mac and not just have its astral, you know, body be mm-hmm. cast over to the iPad while its physical body remains uh, a shell <laughs> on the Mac. It's it's a little weird, but uh, but maybe they'll fix that. I had a, got a very funny. Um text message from a friend of the show, one true John Voorhees today. Mm-hmm. Oh, he yeah. said, um, top tip, don't restart your iPad when it has control of your Mac's trackpad and keyboard. Oh, no. <laughs> he said it was fine once everything was back up, but it doesn't currently kick the input devices back to the Mac. So oh, dear. He, he, oh, dear. He just turned off his iPad, and then his Mac couldn't do anything. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Is, yeah, because it does work both ways. If you've mm-hmm. got a if you've got an iPad with Magic Trackpad and you want to sit on that, and then you've got an, a Mac next to it, you can use the keyboard and, and trackpad, and it'll work the other way too. I would expect There's, it would be bugs. easier to deal with with the iPad in that situation. I bet if you took it off and put it back on the trackpad, that would like kill the trackpad and restart it because you mm. you took the power away. Yeah, I don't know, but that was that know. was just very funny to me. Of like, well, you could just. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye, mouse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh, did you need a keyboard? Well, uh, we don't have one anymore. It's gone. I don't know what happened to it. Is this tied do you know, is this tied to your Apple ID in some way? It's only in the sense that it is uh it is a proximity feature, like airdrop. Mm-hmm. Continuity, I guess they call it, right? And continuity only works with devices that are logged into the same Apple ID. Okay, I cool. Because I was going to say, like, imagine you're sitting at the library and you accidentally <laughs> just oh, <no>. pushed. <laughs> Sorry, ma'am, that's my cursor. I'll get it out of there immediately. Okay, there you go. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. This this is fun. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm very. Does this work Mac to Mac too? Uh yes, it does. Yeah, I'm intrigued about this feature. I wonder if uh it will be a pain in any way. Like I'm 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 not um. I haven't put the betas on. I am not a like mid-cycle beta person. I never install these. Like I only ever install like the big point, like the big like temple releases, like fifteen, sixteen, that kind of thing. Um, it's very, very rare that I will put one of these on because the the features tend to be like interesting, but not like oh, I feel like I have to run this, you know? Because uh, I don't, you know, it's not really my bag. Um, I don't really like to be on the betas, to be honest. But I kind of just do it for the wwdc one because it's so important mm-hmm. uh, but i'm intrigued to see like if if universal control would be something that i would like or whether it would annoy me i don't know yeah as a you know it's like a virtual kvm well not kvm but like a keyboard mouse switch mm-hmm. that there if you if there's you're somebody who has two macs at your desk for some reason or a mac like desktop and laptop or whatever yeah that that's one of the use cases of this too this is super edge casey in a way that we don't always see for 
Apple features, mm-hmm. but it is built on all of these other features that it's been working on. And uh, yeah, I think what what happened is that they built it and they're like, whoa, this is actually really cool. <laughs> and they made it a centerpiece of WWDC and then they didn't ship it until a beta in January. But um, but it's cool. I, I, I Is it useful? Mm, like you really need to be somebody who's got two devices at once. But I occasionally will set up my iPad, even at my desk, to stream video or do something else while I'm working on my Mac. And the idea that I can do that and then just co- sort of mouse over in order to control it, that's it's great. That's like really nice. I mm-hmm. like it. I'm wondering when this is going to come out. Like, is this because you know sometimes they have these uh, point releases in beta for a while because they're also going to include like here's information about product you haven't yeah. seen. Well, you know? two things. One is this is the big feature release, so I feel like the beta cycle will be longer because yep. they added so many like new features essentially to the operating yep. systems that we just have detailed in this segment. In the past, has been kind of like a March thing. Yeah. I will also throw out there. Yeah, are they are they going to do an event? Is that event going to have something that's enabled by an OS update? Might this be tied to that? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. This episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience, used by the biggest creators on the web, to help you generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. We here at Relay FM we use Memberful to power the Relay FM membership program. It makes it incre- they make it so easy for us to generate the extra revenue that we're able to get from people who want to get extra content from us, and you know they removed ads and stuff like that in some cases. Um, and th- really, like it's the whole package for us now. We're able to send uh, newsletters out to our members because Memberful recently added this. You can do um, for existing plans or you can set up paid email newsletters directly now through Memberful. You don't need to connect to a third-party email provider or anything like that. Um, you can even publish this newsletter content to a hosted members-only website so they've got like a good archive there. This is something we didn't have before and Stephen had to do this thing where he kind of like hacked it together from like, here's a PDF. It was like a whole nightmare. And now it's just all on a website so people can go and read all of the previous issues of the members newsletter there's no additional fee if you use Memberful's pro or premium plans and you'll save money compared to other popular hosted newsletter platforms for us it was great because we didn't need to have this other service that we were also using so to bring it all more in-house but of course for us uh, here especially on this show as well the biggest thing for Memberful is we're able to create a p- private podcast feeds for people so they can get our episodes here of Upgrade. They get Upgrade Plus, they get longer content, they get no ads, that kind of stuff. And that's all managed from Memberful system. So if somebody pays, they get that. It's really easy to subscribe from the login. They have these links or QR codes you can use to just go and subscribe in a bunch of different apps. And then if they cancel their membership, they stop getting the content. It just makes it really easy for us to manage because we don't have to do anything. It's wonderful. Maybe you're already producing content and relying on advertising or other means of income. Memberful makes it so easy to diversify that with everything you need to run your own membership program, including custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free trials, those private podcasts, and tons more, while leaving you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, brand, and membership. If you're a content creator, Memberful can help you monetize that passion. Get started for free at memberful.com slash upgrade with no credit card required. That's memberful.com slash upgrade. Go there now and check it out. It could be the start of something exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of this show and Relay FM. Apple's Q1 2022 results. Uh, obviously, money, top money, line. Money, 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 money. Cha-ching. It's that time again where we talk about 
inconceivable amounts of money. <laughs> money, 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 money. It is, yeah. $123.9 billion of revenue. That is, of course, an all-time record for Apple. It is, as anticipated. 11% year-over-year increase. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the previous record holder because Q1 is actually the holiday quarter. So it's, yep. it's the end quarter of last year but it's just about the way these things are done from financials and stuff like that. Uh, That is $34.6 billion of profit, which, of course, is also an all-time record. Of course. $71.6 billion in the quarter for the iPhone. This is the largest quarter ever for the iPhone. I can't remember, Jason, if that's a surprise or not. Was that... Did we expect this? Yeah, I think they... So they don't forecast. During the pandemic, they have not been forecasting. But they said it would be a winner, and they said that most of the um, stuff that they had that would not be sold because they couldn't keep it in stock, that demand outstrip supply, would Mm -hmm. not be like the iPhone. And we know that that's the big iPhone quarter, right? Because it's the iPhone release quarter. Well, but it was the the iPhone 12, everyone expected, would be a massive one because it was a new design and there were new sizes and stuff because there was a bigger version then, right, of the big phone. If you look at the last sort of three-year cycle, it was a big year, then a step back, then a little bit of a step forward. And then they they did the new design, and we got a big year. And then instead of a step back, we got a step forward. So it is a little surprising sort of cyclically in terms of the life of a particular iPhone model. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much the pandemic has affected it. Also, there's just this general growth. Like the in-between quarters between last holiday quarter and this holiday quarter for the iPhone were way higher than the in-between quarters any previous year. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the rising tide kind of lifting the all boats that like the base of the iPhone continues to grow. Even, even though we're in a sort of secondary year, I mean, not that people aren't buying iPhones all the time, but there is like an impetus for a lot of people when there's a new look on in an iPhone to buy the iPhone then. And so that's usually, you usually get a little bit of a spike and then it slides back and that did not happen this time. Uh, so that is up 9% year over year, which is in the iPhone. Again, over the all-time stick. high, yep. f- which was set last year. Yeah, I just, when I read it, I was like, hang on a minute. Okay, I don't know what I was expecting specifically, but I wasn't, expecting that it would def- it would be bigger by a, a margin yeah uh, like a like a chunk because it was like oh i thought that this might be a bit of a calmer iphone yeah but yeah what, six what billion more in sales than a year ago 10.9 billion dollars for the mac so once again the largest mac quarter ever the previous was 9.2 billion which was last quarter which was last quarter, yeah, and and the six highest uh, Mac quarters of all time are the last six, the six mm-hmm. most recent. This is the. But this one is shot up, though, right? Like it went the, up to nine, and then was just hovering around nine, and now we're basically up to eleven. Yeah. Exactly, they went they went up, uh, whatever that is, one point seven billion in sequential from their high, uh-huh. from their all time high. To this number, uh, 25% up year over year. If you look at the four quarter moving average, again, biggest ever in the Mac. Apple lays the lays this at the um, Apple Silicon 
feet of the Apple Silicon transition, right? They're like, mm-hmm. this is about the M1. And I'm sure it is to a certain extent. It's also about the pandemic, maybe pulling some people forward and saying, oh, geez, I need to, I really need to buy a new Mac because <laughs> I'm working at home. Um, but they also said that like in China, half the people who bought Macs were new to the Mac, right? Like this is that rising tide too. Like Apple is not just cycling through people. They say they set all-time records in their installed base, which is not the sales figure, right? That's the how many devices they feel are being actively used at any one time. So when something gets retired and recycled, it leaves the install base. A new model adds to the install base. And Apple says their install base continues to grow and their install base, in fact, was all-time highs in all product categories. That means there are more people, more Macs in active use today than ever, according to Apple, which is not surprising given the sales, but it's something to keep in mind. So that that's part of the rise here too, is now you have more users in the ecosystem who will then buy a new Mac when the old Mac retires or they'll roll that down to somebody. So, so yeah, this is, this is the highest the Mac has ever been again, not bad for a product that is, uh, that is pretty old. You know, this is a product that's 38 years old Mm -hmm. this month and it's at its, it's, it's at its highest point now, but Apple Silicon, right? Like Apple, the Apple Silicon transition certainly did not hurt that, that not only is that forcing people sort of like, oh, well, I'm going to get rid of my Intel Mac, but it also is telling a great story. Like that MacBook Air is such a great product for that, for that price. And it's aided by the fact that it is um, running that M1 chip. I guess this is just people getting laptops for Christmas, right? Like that's... Well, it's the MacBook Pro, right? It's a lot of people buying the true. new MacBook Pro. Yes, the MacBook that's, Pro. And that that is an expensive product, so it's going to drive yeah. more revenue. Yeah. And we don't get to see unit sales anymore. Right. So it's yeah, all that, it but it's like expensive. the Mac is just... Um, the Mac is firing on all cylinders right now. And uh, Apple is aided here probably by the fact that these new Apple Silicon designs probably don't rely on some of the older tech that is the stuff that is supply constrained. And they make more money as well, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because, you know, I just feel like we got a big bump, right? We got the working from home bump. And that's surely over, right? Like anyone that needed a computer yes. for working at home, already. by and large, mm-hmm. has already gotten one or been given one. Probably. You know, like in the in the large scale, right? I feel like we've had the large scale purchases, like that happened, you know, through uh, throughout 2020. And so it's just, I again was not so expecting such a jump. I mean, if you would have asked me, I would have said, yeah, it's probably going to do the highest ever again. But I, I wasn't expecting, you know, close to, or not far off of a $2 billion quarter over quarter change as well. So, yeah, that was that was a surprise to me. Uh, the iPad, $7.2 billion, is down 14% year over year. And again, you'd be like, oh, that's a shame and a surprise. It's the only one here. But I believe from reading your uh, analysis, they actually specifically said the biggest product that they'd struggled with with the supply chain was the iPad. Was that right? Yeah. The okay. iPad is apparently built out of legacy nodes. Yeah, it's just, it's just loads of legacy nodes. The, the Tim Cook phrase for um, the older... This is the stuff when we talk about like semiconductor shortages and supply chain issues and people aren't building cars or like Tesla is shipping cars without USB ports in them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is why, right? It's this stuff. And for whatever reason... The iPad has more of those. Some a, a, An astute analyst asked, is it because of that or is it because you prioritized all the parts to be in the iPhone? 
instead because it's like the iPhone launch. And Tim Cook sort of said, he didn't quite say a little from column A and a little from column B. He said, primarily not. He said, we could do a little. He had a very funny line where it was like, we could do a little, um, but we can't do a lot. And so when you look at that behind the curtain, you could say, are we back there? And we are back there, but we're not, but not that much, right? It was sort of like a, eh, a little bit, but not. I'm sure that there was some prioritization of parts to fulfill iPhone orders, but um, it sounds like it's more than that. It's also just like there are iPads in their lineup, maybe not all of them, but at least some of them that are using kind of the older technology that other people are also using. And it's constrained because uh, of the pandemic causing the factory shutdowns and then restarts and all the things that have led to these supply chain issues that we see everywhere. Um, and so they warned that they were going to sell about $6 billion less than they could have in this quarter. This record quarter could have been $6 billion higher than it actually was, and that the iPad was going to be the most constrained by that. And so um, you could chalk that up to that uh, that the iPad just, they couldn't make them fast enough. And that's what they said, is that the iPad sold pretty well, given that they had some severe constraints. And And I heard from a couple of people when I tweeted that out who said, yeah, I ordered an iPad mini in November and I got it, Jan- you know, the first yeah. week of January. I, I knew people similar. They, were, they yeah. Like I, I have a couple of friends who ordered them not like a f- couple of weeks after they came out and just got them. Seems like, yeah. the, you know, the iPad mini seemed to be pretty hit by mm-hmm. that along with, you know, maybe some of the others, but that one... So I don't, I mean, we, we used to do on this podcast, uh, we've been going long enough now that it used to be the, is the iPad going to hit bottom? And we've reached the point now where my chart doesn't even show that era because <laughs> my chart only oh, yeah. goes back to 2017, um, the normal one that I publish. And, and the iPad has been on the upswing since then. And, and to the point now that even with this lower quarter, you know, the iPad is basically turned into an $8 billion a quarter business. When um, when it was sort of stabilized, it was a $5 billion a quarter business. So a big upswing in just a, a handful of years for the iPad. And I, I suspect that that's where the iPad will live now is in that, is in that seven, eight, nine billion a quarter range. Services at $19.5 billion, up 24% year over year. The most boring chart I could possibly do because yeah. it's just a bunch of purple Oop. bars that go up. Oop. Just Every single time go they go up, they went up again. It's an all-time high, 24% year-over-year increase. They are they have done five straight uh, quarters with a 24% or higher year-over-year growth rate, which is wild. And that's coming that's off of a period where they were in the 17 18 19% year-over-year. Uh, so it just keeps going up. This is, and it's not seasonal, of course. It's because it's just a subscription service. And they talked about it and how many subscriptions they have now. And that does include app store subscriptions. They they include on, subscriptions yeah. on their platform aren't just Apple TV Plus subscriptions, but they are if you pay for Carrot Weather. I had some thoughts on this. So 785 million paying subscribers is the number that they gave. Yep. Uh, which is th- that number specifically is up 27% in the last year. Mm-hmm. You know, amount of people and, and value are not going to be the same. But as you say, it includes all subscriptions. And so, like, as you say, Carrot Weather, TweetBot is the same in this number as Apple TV Plus, iCloud. Yeah. And this was, like, another reminder for me of why they do not want to give any of these people up. You know why they they want to keep everyone in 
their system because Wall Street at the moment really, really, and have done for a couple of years, but really care about this specific number for Apple. And that's why Apple pushed so hard on it because this is their, like, we know we're going to grow here. I mean, look, we're talking about the numbers the iPhone's seeing. That stopped happening for a while, right? And it was like, well, they've reached the top with the iPhone. I mean, we now know they haven't, but everybody, including Apple, I think, thought that for a bit. And Mm -hmm. so they started pushing on their services more, and they want that chart to just keep going up. And yeah. I mean, to me, honestly, like, you know, so basically Apple choose how they want to slice these numbers and serve them up in a way that looks good for them because they could also break that out, right? Of like, this is what we get through the app store and this is what we get for our actual services that we provide, that we talk right. about. Because, you know, like when Apple were talking about their services revenue, I'm sure they talk about all of their own ones and not like, hey, and X amount of these are for this thing, which has got nothing to do with us. And for me as well, I think what actually really matters is Apple's own stuff. And that should only be, in my opinion, what actually matters to Wall Street because Apple can't change that positively or negatively, the number there, because they are actually not Apple's customers. They're the customers of the third-party developers or whatever. Right? Yeah, but that's not how Apple views it, right? Apple talks a lot about the subscriptions on their platform and the revenue on their platform. And that that gives you a an insight into why Apple behaves the way it does with regulators. Yeah, with, I mean, but it's, the, also, it's the, what the they Dutch choose is what I mean. Like they, they, yes. they choose that. I think realistically they're aware that they're not, it's not that, you know, that customer relationship is, is, is provided by somebody else, but they also just want the money. You know, I think there's yeah. that dual part of it, but they do. So I find they that I find that weird. Honestly, I find that a little bit weird. But here we are, uh, and 14.7 billion dollars wearable home and accessories. That is up 13 percent year over year, the largest ever quarter in that as well. AirPods three maybe driving some of that and yeah. additional growth. And I think Apple Watch doing pretty well. I always forget Apple Watch is in this category. Um, they didn't have an Apple watch superlative right so i you know it may not have been the best apple watch quarter ever i wouldn't be a surprise for this one i feel like breakdown iphone is 58 percent services 16 percent wearables 12 mac 9 ipad 6 as like percentage of overall revenue yeah um, the mac that shows you too the ipad is growing even though they didn't have a great quarter and so it's down a little bit there but the iPad is growing, but it shows you the Mac growth. When I was doing the pie chart a year or two ago, the Mac and the iPad were were at the, basically the same size. For a very long time, the Mac and the iPad were the same size. And now it's Mac 9, iPad 6. Like, they are appreciably different parts of Apple's revenue composition. And that's because the Mac's done so well. And the iPad is doing well, but it's not growing like the Mac is growing. And then services. And then you talk about, like, put them together, and what, is that, what does that add up to? 15%. Well, services is 16%. So the Apple services business is now greater than the Mac and the iPad put together. And wearables is at 12% too. So it's a, it's a, yeah, there's a lot. And then iPhone 58% because this is the quarter where iPhone is always like way over half of Apple's revenue. Um, one of the things that uh, they didn't give was any guidance, right? So this is how I've decided to interpret Apple. Um, Apple did a lot of stuff back in the day because they decided this is how they're going to, this is how they're going to report. And maybe there were some regulations. And at some point in the last few years, somebody at Apple, maybe it was Luca Maestri, the CFO, when he took over as CFO, somebody said, you know, we disclose more than we're legally obligated to. 
And you would think that would have been a Steve Jobs thing, but it's not not a Steve Jobs era thing. It is this Tim Cook era thing where they're like, okay, let's not. Let's not disclose more than we're legally obligated to. So what did they do? They stopped talking about unit sales because they weren't legally obligated to talk about them. They they just stopped doing that. Um, they The calls that they do with analysts got more and more scripted, fewer questions and answers. The answers have been less informative because they're they're much more disciplined about staying on script and not disclosing more information. And the only information that they do disclose that goes above and beyond is the stuff that they've decided makes them look good. Like you mentioned, subscriptions and, and install base are figures that they don't have to quote and they don't report legally, but they mention them because they make them look good. When we talk about guidance, Apple has always traditionally given guidance. And I think that it's a best practice to give guidance. But the moment the pandemic happened, Apple said, we are unable to give guidance because Mm -hmm. guidance should be made with confidence. I think that that's probably one of the, again, best practices of this sort of financial stuff is if you're going to tell investors something about the future, you need to have some confidence in it because otherwise there are some legal issues if you tell investors things that you don't actually believe. So, okay. They, and they famously, Apple used to sandbag their numbers and they'd guide to something lower than what they actually were thinking. And they, they stopped doing that. They started being much more accurate with their guidance. Pandemic happens, they stop guiding altogether. And instead, they give these things that are like fake guidance, where they're like, well, we're not going to guide to a number, but we do think it's going to be a record, <laughs> which they've done several times. And they did this time. They didn't give guidance, but they said it will be a March quarter record, but growth will decelerate. That was the mm-hmm. other thing they said, which it means that they're not going to shrink, but the growth rates will be lower year over year than they have been recently. And they, had gave, they gave some reasons for that, including continued supply chain issues that will not be, again, without spe- specifying a number, will not be as bad as they were last quarter, but they will still be bad. Um, and so, they, again, this is just... It's all part of the same thing, which is I think Apple has decided they're going to milk the we're not giving guidance as long as possible. And so even though they could, you know, the the pandemic is changing and they probably have a better gauge of how they're doing than they did when they stopped giving guidance. But they're not going to go back to giving guidance, specific guidance of what their revenue number is going to be next quarter until they absolutely have to. Because why disclose something you don't have to? Maybe they'll just never do it again, you know? I mean, maybe. I I think they will have to at some point because I do think that Wall Street kind of really does expect expect yeah. that as a publicly held company and that when they when they are more confident about it, and i don't think that they're that they're lying about it i i think that there is more uncertainty than they're comfortable with but they are comfortable enough to say it's going to be a record quarter it's going to be the best march quarter ever they were comfortable enough to say that but just not to put a number on it because i would expect it's also like you know some of the guidance is based on stuff all oh, we know we're releasing this thing but they i would expect at the moment don't know they're releasing anything at the time that they want to release it you know, or they have to make that decision late. And keep in mind, when they do this conference call, they've already got figures for the first month of the next quarter. Mm-hmm. So they actually do have some idea of how that quarter is going and they know what they're going to be announcing and they know what the, the, you know, do they have extras or are they having trouble building things? Like they have a lot of data and that allows them to make uh, a, a, a guess about it. But as to what that actually is, I mean, I guess all all we really know is that it will be more, it, it'll probably be 
90 plus million just because their record is 89.6 that was last year and it will be more than that so you could say they're guiding to above eight uh, above 90 but we don't actually know what that means so that's but anyway wall street will take that and i'm sure it's already built it into the the price of the stock which we don't care about because we don't invest in apple but there it is money 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 mm-hmm. this episode is brought to you by zocdoc Finding and booking a doctor who's right for you doesn't need to be a terrible experience. Look, we're going to take your insurance. They're going to understand your needs and what you want. And they're going to be available to see you when you want to see them. With ZocDoc, the answer can be a refreshingly pain-free and simple yes. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors with verified patient reviews and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. Just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that is right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor. Thanks, sounds great. I love this. I mean, it's always so frustrating to me when I want to see someone and the hours are just bananas or you call the doctors and they're like, yeah, we've got an appointment for you. It'll be in six weeks from now. It's like, well... The thing that I want to talk to you about is right now. Like, can't we talk right now? No, can't do that. So I think this sounds really cool. Go to ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. That URL one more time, ZocDoc, ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. A thanks to ZocDoc for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Let's finish up with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. First comes from Zach, who wants to know Do you use any specific DNS servers like Google's 8.8.8.8 or Cloudflare's 1.1.1.1, for example? Uh, no, I don't. I actually, at one point, I tried, I think, Google's and I found it unreliable for me, <laughs> less reliable than using my ISP's DNS server. So I am currently using my ISP's DNS server. And I actually had to figure this out because I had to, I had to manually configure it when I changed my, um, my home network around. Um, and I thought about using one of those, but honestly, the, my ISP is the closest to me on the network and it's done a pretty good job. So I've, I've accepted that for now. If it displeases me, I will try those out. But I, I um, like I said, I've, I tried them in the past and actually wasn't happy with them. Maybe this makes me a bad nerd, but I don't even know why I would want to use any mm. of these things. And you know I, what, Jason, I'm fine. Not knowing it. It's, it's okay. You know, it, I think on it, this one, don't email go. I don't, I don't yeah. need to know. I'm good. I've never needed it. I'm fine. My internet's great. You know, my only complaint, honestly, because I switched to AT&T for, for fiber, is their DNSs do that thing. I wonder if I can turn it off. I bet I could turn it off in my account. Their DNS does that thing where if it doesn't find a domain name record, it redirects you to like a search page that it manages. And I don't like that. I, like, don't. Like, you're not the domain. You're, a, you're AT&T. Don't pretend to be the domain. When you fail, when you type something in wrong, I don't like that part. But anyway, I'm just, I, I, 
I'm also a bad nerd and I know more about it than you, but I also don't do it. So shame on us, I guess. Shame, shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brantz asks, do you feel that Apple should offer Face ID on an iPad model that doesn't start at $800 with the 11-inch iPad Pro? I don't. I mean, maybe they'll get there at some point, but should? Like Face ID, that Face ID sensor stack is expensive and it's really good and it differentiates their products um and they they chose to make the ipad air have touch id i think the ipad air might get face id at some point but you do have to do a lot of like redesigning to get that and i think the whole point is you're differentiating between the different models so i don't think they they should or that they they need to they could um and forgive me if i'm reading this wrong but it, it reads to me like brands is like saying why must we pay so much money to get face ID? And I think the answer is embedded in your question, which is because Apple wants you to pay them money for face ID. But also that the sensor stack is not is not cheap. It is it is pricey and it's on their premium products. So yeah. The experience is so much better though. Like I use it an is. iPad mini all the time now and I re- I get really annoyed having to touch the sensor. I actually I was thinking about this today because we were thinking about the face ID thing for um 15.4 i think where i've drawn the line is face id is better for ipads and macs and touch id is better for iphones because you already have the phone in your hand right your hand is on it like you can't use it not in the hand right where those other devices are further away like you can or can be further away or a bigger so like your hand might not be in the natural place so I've kind of I've kind of come down on that. I think that it's it's easier for for an iPhone. Pressing the space bar to open my iPad when it's in the Magic Keyboard case and having it just read my face and open, it's really nice. And mm-hmm. then I do it with the MacBook Air, and I have to reach my finger up and do Touch ID, and it's like it's not as nice. Not as it's nice. not a, a, an incredible burden, but it's it's not as nice an experience. I would say I like Face ID on the iPhone. Because there are scenarios where people don't have are wearing gloves and things, and I think it's good for those. But that's why I think in the long run they probably should do both. I think they so should do you, both. Yeah, I think they should do both. I think they should go back to that. Man asks: Now that podcast subscriptions have been out for a while, have either of you tried any premium content in Apple Podcasts? What would it take uh, for either of you to create your own premium podcast of Apple? So it's kind of two questions in there. Uh, yeah. Part one: Have you tried any? No. No, neither have I, because none of the shows that I listen to do it, you know? So. And I and I use Overcast, so it would create a de facto Spotify situation where I would have yep. to get a custom app, the podcast app, in order to listen to a specific show. Mm-hmm. And not only, yeah, do those shows not exist, but... Um, I don't want to. I don't want to use an app that's not my podcast app. Mm-hmm. And that is also kind of the answer to the second question, like... I'm. I mean, I can speak for me. You can speak for you. I'm not interested in. Uh, it's kind of the same as when we spoke about it the first time. I'm not interested in offering uh, paid content that is walled off to one application because it limits the amount of people that yeah. could consume that content. And also, with the way that Apple system works, is two things. One, you have to do a bunch of additional work to make it work, uh-huh. which is not something I have to do for any other podcast app, including Apple's podcast app. If people just sign up on our website, they can just subscribe, mm-hmm. right? And then also, uh, I don't believe that Apple should get 30% of the money. Yeah, so I have a similar answer. So the incomparable, we just started doing a essentially the equivalent of Upgrade Plus 
on the Incomparable, the Incomparable mm. Special Edition. And I made that available to Incomparable members. All the members get it. No special kind of thing to do. You just, if you're a member of the Incomparable, you can subscribe to that and you get it. And, it, and like Upgrade Plus, it's got extra content and no ads. It's longer okay. ad-free, which wasn't a thing that the Incomparable main show had before, right? No, just... we hadn't done it before, which is funny because mm-hmm. I should have. And somebody mm-hmm. asked why we didn't. And I thought, uh, I have no good answer to that. Maybe we should do that. So, okay, great. Um, I could put that on Apple Podcasts too. And I've thought about it first thing you have to look at is who are your listeners and unless your listeners are predominantly apple podcast users it doesn't make sense the incomparable has more of that than the tech podcast do right because the tech podcasts tend to be people who get a third-party podcast client mm-hmm. but a, a, a general entertainment podcast you have more people who are not as techy and they use the platform podcast app if they're on the if they're on ios on android it's a whole thing but on ios they do that so i could do that but then as you said I would have to go to Apple's website and upload a special version of it every time. And so it's extra production work for me or somebody I pay in order to get it up there. And also there's the complexity of it, which is I already have a membership program. It's at the incomparable. You can go there and give us money and get stuff, including podcasts. So even if some people might buy it via um, Apple instead of at the incomparable, what happens then? Well, first off, what's my messaging? Do I tell people that it exists or do I just let them find it? How do I communicate that we have two different subscriptions? There's the one on Apple's site and then there's the one on our site. And then the big one is I can't, they're Apple's customer. Not only am I sharing my money with Apple, but I don't know who they are, which means that if they pay on on Apple's podcast platform, they don't get any of the other benefits of being an incomparable subscriber. Oh yeah, I forgot about that because like one thing for us is one of the other reasons is the Discord wouldn't work. Right. So Spotify has this API thing that they're, the OAuth thing they're doing where you can link your paid account with Spotify. Um, Apple doesn't even offer that yet. Uh, maybe they will in the future, and that would be good. But then it would also mean that Apple was allowing you to know more about these people who they sort of perceive as their customers. So would they do that or not? But it also, so yeah, it means you're paying for this content, but you don't get it all. You only get the one thing, and it's extra complexity for the messaging of like, what do you offer? And it's more work. So. It doesn't make sense. If I would love to try it out if I had something where it made sense. But at this point, nothing I do makes sense. The UI any is sense. really nice and the way they deliver the episodes is really nice and like all that kind of stuff. Like they've done yep. a really good job with it. But they did it too late and then everybody right. that wanted this and was gonna hope you know, most people that would have been able to make a success out of it had already done it. Now, like there are there are companies that do it and there are companies that are at the scale where it makes sense to them, but I don't think there's many. And we should say that that we relay an incomparable both use memberful, which is a sponsor of this episode today. Mm-hmm. Um, but just just to say it, and but there are other options out there too. That's what we use. Um, I would say if Apple supported external authentication or something, where I could sell a podcast subscription on the podcast app and make them a subscriber with all the other options. I would consider it. I'm not sure I would do it, but I would consider it. But to have it be this weird standalone thing, um, you really would just have to have, it would have to be worth your while. You would have to have no other options and um, and an audience that's almost entirely listening on the podcast app. So no, no and no is the short version of that. 
And Superhappy asks, what do you think about using a HomePod as a de facto replacement landline? Our kids are too young for their own phones, but it would be cool if they could use it to ask Siri to call or FaceTime their grandparents or even make emergency calls. Is this even possible? I did some I did some research yes. today. Uh, yeah, I see that. So it's not accidental. It's yes, but. So you can do this, but there has to be an iOS or iPadOS device that the HomePod can run the call through. It has to right. be there to do it. It's like a, it, it's like a, and this is a weird omission from the HomePod. There's no reason it shouldn't be able to do a FaceTime. The the, the it, landline itself. call, like the phone, because it could do phone calls that I get, but the, why can't it do a FaceTime yeah, call? Yeah, it's I got intercom know. now, but yeah. it doesn't have FaceTime. So so anyway, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It should, but that's how it works. So you need to have a phone in order for it to make a land a, a, a phone number call, right? Mm-hmm. You need to have a, a, a basically an iPhone within your network so that it can use it to do the call. Mm-hmm. But if you've got an iPad that's connected, again, it has to be the iPad that's connected to the HomePod, you can then say to the HomePod, ahoy HomePod, call grandma. Or fa- mm-hmm. no, you have to say FaceTime grandma. You can't say call or it'll try to use a phone. FaceTime grandma. And it will place that call on the iPad and pipe it back to the HomePod. So this yep. should be this should be way easier than this. You should be able to just- And it's weird yeah. to say FaceTime, right? Because FaceTime is- like It's just weird to say FaceTime when there's no- because it's FaceTime audio. There's the, no faces, the but they, FaceTime audio is a thing. It's uh-huh. There is an thing. interesting caveat when it comes to emergency services, which is one of the parts of the question. So it will first try to do what you expect it to do, which is it will look for the phone or iPad on the same account connected and try and make it. If it can't find that, the HomePod will start looking for any iPhone on the same Wi-Fi network. So it doesn't ha- so for example me and Jason live together and the home pods on my phone. Oh man, that's a sitcom. And then I've left and taken my iPhone with me and someone wants to call 911. It would then make the call through Jason's phone even though he's not registered to the home pod. Which is kind of cool as long as we're on the same Wi-Fi network. I wouldn't want to rely on that. So Basically, my answer to this for you, uh, Super Happy, is if you do not have like an iPad that is always at home, don't do this. Uh, actually, no, because the iPad wouldn't call the emergency services, would it? So if you, unless you have a, a device, that, like a phone, like an, an, an iPhone there all the time, I wouldn't rely on this as a thing for this is how you call the emergency services as a way to teach your children. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to, you know. That that would be my my recommendation. This is I don't know. I understand what you're trying to go for here, but like, would you assume as well that every call should be a loudspeaker call, right? That you wouldn't have that with a regular landline. So yeah, but I like I like the idea. The way I would phrase it is using the grandparents as an example. Like, if you can set it up so that your you know, your iPad is attached for personal requests for the HomePod and there's mm-hmm. a contact called grandma or grandparents or whatever. And you train your kids to say the right phrase and it gives them a call. Then great. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would treat it like that, which is can I set this up 
in very specific circumstances so that this works. And if you can, then great. Like that would be how you do it. But it's not, I, I will come back to my previous thing. I get it. It's complex because you have to like say, well, what are the contact lists? If I'm going right on the HomePod, what contacts list am I using? And it's like, okay, I get that, but it should be able to do this. If I've got my Apple ID and it's got my contacts on it. And honestly, if I've got my Apple ID where it can recognize different different users and know different people have different devices, like you should be able to use their contacts and like it should be able to do this without having to resort to another device, but it doesn't right now. So interesting hole in in uh, in HomePod that maybe they need to fix. If you'd like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you get access to along with longer ad-free episodes if you go to getupgradeplus.com. And thank you so much to everybody that has done that. And we really appreciate it. I bet you're going to love it. It's more upgrade, no ads. Wow, it's amazing stuff over there. If you want to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com. And you use that Jason on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much to ZocDoc, Memberful, Text Expander, and Capital One for the support of this episode. Next week's episode, what are we going to be doing, Jason? I'm going to be giving out grades. Well, okay, my panel is going to be giving out grades. It'll be the Apple report card for 2021. Well, I'm going to set you some homework. Uh-oh. I want your grades as well. Okay, fine. Because that's the thing that you don't do. I don't do that. That's going to be an upgrade exclusive. That's what yeah. it's going to be. My grades are only going to be on, on a upgrade. Yeah, and I saved my grades too. So we can look at the overall and I have my grades. I want you to bring oh, I your, have grades. your grades. I know I you have, have your them, grades. But I have them. And we're going to talk about um, how a large community of Apple observers have graded Apple's 2021. And we're going to talk about that. It's going to be yeah. a very interesting episode uh, to get into the weeds on next week. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, everybody.